Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings, of course, on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 895, where it's all about Black Friday. But are the deals as good as they seem? To find out, I'm joined by our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, this whole Black Friday thing, it's not recent. It's been around quite a while. It's been around since the 1960s, Wow! Uh, if you're American. Yeah, uh, Black Friday is traditionally the Friday after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving usually being on a Thursday, I think. Uh, Black Friday is the day after, started in 1961 in Philadelphia. And it just became sort of this traditional sort of massive shopping mm. day, kind of like first day of the sales over here, I guess. Mm. Um, people just went mad for selling. Uh, and of course, in more recent times, we have Cyber Monday, which is the Monday after Black Friday, mm. uh, which is kind of an artificial term. It was actually dreamt up in 2005 by the Consumer Retail Federation in America. Mm. And they just looked at a trend and they went, okay, yeah, lots of lots of buying and selling going mm. on on Black Friday. But actually, there's an awful lot of buying and selling going on specifically online on Mondays. Therefore, they christened that day Cyber Monday. Grand. And then we have our own equivalent in Ireland. Well, at least we used to. And it was like St. Stephen's Day. Straight after Christmas, you'd be into the sales. Uh, and, and they I have their own. I going to say something else. No, I was gonna, they also have their uh, equivalent in China as well, don't they? They do. They have Singles Day, which is the 11th of November. It's the uh, 11-11. <laughs> I think that's great. If you're single, go shopping. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> brilliant. It. Well, listen, that's a, a mm. in, interesting with the history. I didn't realise it had been around since 1961. That that is something, and it is. It's just a big excuse for sales. Get stuff cheap. But the question is, how cheap are you actually getting stuff? Brilliant news story out this week from uh, Witch Magazine. As you know, look at all things to do with uh, sales. They mm-hmm. analysed 200 deals last year during B- Black Friday at mm-hmm. Amazon, Argos, Currys, all the biggies, right? And basically what they did was they checked the prices every single day for six months before Black Friday and for six months after Black Friday. And do you know what they found out about the prices on Black Friday? What? They found out that 99.5% of prices were cheaper at other times. Really? Yes. So there is there is like an inflationary Black exactly. Friday. Exactly. Black Friday is actually kind of you know an excuse to sell, and because of the hype is so big now, people don't really reduce the prices. They either keep them the same, or they might even bump them up a little bit. And it's oh, the old that's trick. It's the old trick of oh, uh, Black Friday is coming up, so let's pop this up by twenty quid for a month. Mm. And then when Black Friday comes along, we knock off that 20 quid and we say, yay, look what you're saving today when you're not oh, really. Because I thought it, it was going to work in the opposite direction because I, I was thinking of it in terms of like the January sales where they basically just reduce everything that didn't sell over Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the, the, I was I was thinking about that. And I suppose you've two sides of the thing. You can either have Black Friday where you buy more for Christmas mm. and you kind of buy in bulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you have the after Christmas, but after Christmas is kind of like you've already done all of your shopping, mm. and you really just want to go out and get bargains. So, ah, whatever. And it look, it's mm. all just a sales, 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 sales. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of which, regardless of what which say, there are some really, really good bargains to be found mm. on uh, Black Friday this year. And Niall and myself have kind of been picking out our three favourites 
Why don't you go first, Nat? Okay. And interesting to note, yours sort of skew towards services mm. and mine are skewing towards things. Okay. Okay. So here we go. The first thing I want to talk about is the OneSonic Quattro Bluetooth speaker, because everybody should have a decent Bluetooth speaker at home, whether it's a, a Google Nest or just a regular speaker. Um, because, you know, nobody wants to be wearing headphones mm. all the time, much, mm. as, much as we enjoy it. Um, and one of the reasons I'm mentioning uh, OneSonic is because it's an Irish company, which is, which is very nice. We like supporting Irish companies. Uh, and also the fact that you can order direct from their own website. So, you know, it's it's the company themselves dictating their own price mm. and benefiting directly from, from their own pricing. So you can get the Quattro Bluetooth speaker for €199 Euro on Black Friday, a reduction of €100 Euro over the usual retail price. That's a pretty good saving. Yes. Now, I'll tell you where else you find savings on speakers is with Amazon. All right. Um, one of the things that Amazon do do for Black Friday is they significantly reduce the prices on their own products. So Kindles and all that kind of stuff, right? Interestingly, this year, Amazon have got a speaker of their own. Like the big Echo Studio is their big speaker, okay? Mm. So it'll probably be the same as the one you were talking about. Uh, but it also is 200 euro. They're not dropping the price at all. That's interesting. That is interesting. Whereas with they the smaller ones, they definitely are. So they've got the, uh, the Echo 4, okay? Yeah. Um, which apparently has got a nice sound. It's got two tweeters and a nice little bass thing in it and it's spherical in shape and it's bigger than your regular Echo, da, 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 whatever. Uh, they've dropped that from 100 down to 60. And I know hmm. this because I'm on Amazon all the time looking at this thing, go, maybe, 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 maybe. And now they've dropped it to 60. I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely in. Uh, they're also doing the uh, the uh, smaller version of that, the Echo Dot with the spherical dot. And that is, uh, I think, 30 euro. And the older dot, which looks like more like a, a, an ice hockey puck, is just 20 quid. And I'm thinking, my wife was saying she needs a Bluetooth speaker for, uh, for work, but she hmm. hates the Amazon stuff. So I'm thinking, Grant, well, I'm going to buy that little puck for 20 quid, right? And she can just mm -hmm. use it as a Bluetooth speaker and not connect it to the internet at all and not have your one <laughs> mm -hmm. giving her reminders yeah. or whatever or listening to her conversations as she is paranoid about. Uh, yeah, so lots of deals on uh, on Amazon. I think the uh, uh, the dot, the other one I'd recommend is the Show 5, which is the little five-inch screen thing. And that's mm -hmm. down from 80-something down to 45. Hmm. Okay. And any of the Amazon branded stuff, lots of money off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my turn next. Yep. Okay. Um, smartwatches uh, sort of uh, eventually became uh, a must have mm. after a couple of years in the wilderness um, trying to find a, a, a market. A market and a, and a space for itself. So I'm having a look at Garmin's uh, venue sports watch. So the, the and this is available at Harvey Norman for 248 euros this weekend, down mm -hmm. from 359. Wow, that's Pretty a good, significant that, that's saving. That's a saving of 160 quid, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. a good saving. So that's worth having a look at. Solid brand, good watch. Mm. Yeah, good price. Okay, uh, another service that I have because I got the Mac 1 uh, mm. and I had Photoshop on my old computer, but it was a buyout version, quite an old one, but nevertheless worked for me. Um, I wasn't going to buy into the whole uh, Adobe Creative Cloud stuff. Oh, which reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to buy, no, seriously, if, if you if you haven't subscribed to Adobe and you want to use all of their products, uh, if you sign up on Black Friday, uh, you will get 40% off for the, for the year. 
It's still right. like, you know, 400 and something euro for the year. And the following mm. year, you depend on 700 or whatever. But anyway, that's that. Uh, what I did use, though, and he, two interesting things about this, right? One, Affinity, which I told you about. They do a publisher, they do a designer, they do a, a photo thing, right? Um, they're all under 50 quid each. And they're all, they all do pretty much 95% of what the Adobe stuff does. Right. So it's sort of a, um, a competitor for Office and Creative Cloud. Something that kind of a way. Yeah. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. It, okay. it is to Creative Cloud what Office is or what Google Office Docs is to whichever. Yeah. Gotcha. I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, but firstly, they are doing an offer where they are reducing the price down to 38 euro for each of their three main programs. Now, here's where I am saying this is interesting because I purchased two of those programs. I got the photo and the publisher, right, from AM1. And I bought them last June, which is mm-hmm. less than six months ago, for 28 each. 10 euro cheaper. Than the Black Friday offer. Than the offer we have for today. Right. So you've just kind of got to be careful about, you know... Don't believe mm. everything that they say. That that stuff from Affinity is still worth 38 quid for a photo editor that is going to do everything that Photoshop does and is very popular and gets great reviews. How can you go wrong? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's pretty good. Uh, for my last pick, mm. can I cheat? Well, it's our show. Of course you can cheat. <laughs> <laughs> it's not called cheating. It's called an editorial decision. Now. An editorial decision. Uh, I think there's tremendous value to be had in mm. appliances, believe it or not. Uh, and of course, one of the great appliances that people love mucking about with is coffee makers. And because, ah. oh, observe my coffee maker. It's so fancy. Ergo, I have better taste in coffee than you do. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. If you if you're a real coffee snob, uh, you can have a look at the DeLonghi Dynamica bean cup coffee machine, uh, which currently sells in DID for well on on a regular day apparently twelve hundred and ninety nine euro. What? That's, yeah, that's coffee snob territory. All right. Uh, for Black Friday, you can get it for eight hundred and ninety nine. Well, that's a steep discount. Pretty steep discount. Uh, oh. Honourable mention, actually, because it is actually a fantastic time to go buying a television. Uh, and as we now know, the average size of a television in Ireland is 55 and a half inches. So if you want to get yourself a 55 inch tally, I recommend going for the Sony Bravia XR 55 inch 4K TV uh, at Harvey Norman this weekend. Regular price, 2199 Black Friday price, 1549 that's definitely going to be a, t- a present to yourself. There's no way you're buying one of those for the kids. Here, kids, have this for the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, my last one, uh, and very quickly, it's Virgin Media. Uh, they are doing, uh, for new customers who want to come in, uh, 10 euro a month for unlimited mobile phone usage. Unlimited text, unlimited calls, da-da-da-da, whatever. You get all your roaming when you're on your holidays in Europe and all that kind of stuff for a tenner a month uh, for the first 12 months. Then it goes up to 25, which is still actually not a bad price at all. And they don't call it Black Friday at Virgin Media. They call it Red Friday. But of course. But of course. course. (laughs) Listen, there we go. That's our update on Black Friday. Thank you, Niall, as always. Do remember we keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. 
We talk a lot about the promise of quantum computing, but how does it actually work? Niall Kitson met with Dr Venkatesh Kanan, who is the technical manager at the Irish Centre for High-End Computing, who explained it all. We've talked an awful lot about quantum computing on the show over the last few years and the sense that it's this almost great white hope for uh, for computing, uh, effectively changing the rules of computing as we know it. So if you can take us through exactly what quantum is and how it is redefining what we consider computing to be. Sure, absolutely. So the traditional form of computing that we have uh, in, 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 in many walks of our life is based on conventional technology, conventional technology meaning manipulating a series of bits, zeros and ones to, to kind of uh, uh, digitally represent the data and the computations and operations that we perform with the data. Now, the way fundamentally the classical computing works is by controlling flow of, so to say, electrons to represent the zero or one. Electrons flow, it's a one. Electrons don't flow, it's a zero. Now, what quantum computing or in general quantum technologies bring to this computational paradigm is the ability to represent increased precision and increased scale of of any system. So what I mean by that is, if, for example, we are modeling a molecular structure, now the classical example where quantum computing is is, is advertised to be beneficial is chemistry or it's uh, it's benefit it's beneficiary domains like pharmaceutical drug discovery etc but maybe let's just take a molecule but the complexity of a molecule is significantly huge so the purpose of usually studying these kind of molecular structures is to understand their behavior so that we can then use it downstream to build uh, uh, smart uh, intelligent materials we can build efficient drugs etc so the the inherent problem in studying any molecule is to model its molecular behavior. Now, that's a significantly complex system. And currently in our classical computers is what we do is to study those kind of molecules. We build an approximate model of it. And by approximate, we don't uh, model all of its varying behavioral parameters. We need to miniaturize it, its complexity so that we can approximately represent it, then study it. With that, what happens is we can fit those computations within the the compute capability of our current supercomputers or HPC systems in the cloud or in national supercomputing centers. But what that allows us to do is study it within the feasible computing power that we have with a compromise of reduced complexity and accuracy eventually. What quantum computers allow us to do is to naturally represent how a molecule behaviors in nature, its physics, in a quantum computing system because quantum computers allow us to do computations with subatomic particles. They might be photons, they might be atoms, they might be ions, etc. And that's why you see in the news, quantum computers are being implemented using photonics technology, ion trap technology, or atomic technology, etc. So the event, the essence is we do computations using subatomic particles. And with that, what quantum computers allow us to do is to almost represent the entire complexity of these chemical or real world systems in their large, so to say, representational space. Now, with that naturally comes that we can more accurately represent and study these complex systems without having to do that approximation. The second benefit that comes with quantum computing, most of all, is that we can work in this large representational space almost in parallel, meaning we can explore different scenarios uh, in 
in parallel at the same time. That's where the concept of sort of the superposition, et cetera, entanglement, all that comes in. So the ability to work on multiple options uh, within that huge complex space brings the compute power that is often referenced in terms of quantum computing. So increased accuracy and increased computational power is what quantum computing can bring to the current classical systems that we have. And therefore, if you're uh, changing the, the compute paradigm, uh, one imagines you've got to change your infrastructure to uh, to fit. So when we're looking at um, uh, computers that are capable of operating uh, at that quantum level, what sort of infrastructure are we looking at? Uh, that again varies. So if you see these uh, often uh, shown chandeliers, they are in gold or yellow in color, and often they are refrigerated. So it depends pretty much on the technology that is used to realize uh, these quantum computers. Some of them need to operate at very low temperatures, below freezing, way, way, way below freezing. That's why you see these large refrigeration type of chambers where it's very much below zero. Some of the quantum computer technologies can operate in room temperature. So at the end of the day, as you rightly said, the engineering technology that is involved to physically create these quantum computers is, is slightly different from what our traditional computers are being built with. Now, some of them are pursuing, some companies are pursuing using the same silicon-based semiconductor implementation for quantum computers. But there are a number of others, like I mentioned, ion trapper, photonics, uh, atoms, etc. So we predominantly will be looking at alternate uh, forms of quantum computers, which not necessarily, which don't necessarily look like our classical computers. And they would have to eventually downline, they would have to exist within the same physical space so that the classical computing technology and quantum computing technology can work together to kind of address those complex computational problems. So that sort of implies then that it has to be very um, sort of highly specified places where you can actually keep a quantum computer that you won't you won't be seeing them uh, in a traditional lab for the moment anyway. Uh, there are pursuits, so I, I will be very inclusive here. There are pursuits by companies to kind of build a desktop or a, or a lab-based quantum computing system. But for the moment, it does look like it won't be in many people's homes, at least, so, so to say. They will be very specialized instruments that will be uh, in, in labs or data centers where people can gain access to just like how they are accessing supercomputers for the moment. Let's have a look at the way quantum computers are being used at the moment, because at the moment we know that data is being gathered all around us through various means, through, you know, something very simple as our internet browsers, all the way out to specified sensors that are being used, say, for managing things like rubbish collection or, you know, traffic light settings in, in, in smart cities, this sort of thing. So once you have all this amazing compute power, how does one go about creating a model of a project, say, if you wanted to manage a, a, a smart city? Right. So uh, in the context of traditional compute, right, so the classical computing power that we have, we usually go with using the data to and, and, and the principles of those systems. Either we build numerical models like uh, our weather models uh, and environmental models, biological models. So we use the underlying physical and mathematical principles to build what's what we call numerical models. 
The more recent one that has exploded naturally, you know, is artificial intelligence that is driven by building models that mimic, so to say, or learn from the data itself, the patterns and the characteristics of the data itself. So eventually what we are looking at is this kind of in classical domain, we are looking at this coupled or hybrid models where we have the numerical models enabled by these artificial intelligence models that are learning from the data more complex patterns. Now, when it comes to quantum computing, for the foreseeable future, and by foreseeable future, we are probably talking at least one decade, if not two. For at least the foreseeable future, quantum computers are going to be looking at very specific parts of problems that are more suitable for the quantum computing domain. And by that, we have, re- we have read about optimization-related problems, physics or chemistry-related problems, search-related problems, and so on. So quantum computers are potentially not going to replace all of the classical computing. They're going to take a part of the problem in a longer chain, so to say, in a longer workflow, and solve that part very efficiently and then feed the result back into the classical uh, workflow. So that's kind of where the where this sort of interface occurs. Um, tell us a little bit more about the idea of digital twins, that uh, having the ability to replicate things that are happening sort of uh, in the in the real world, if you will, uh, at a virtual level. Sure. So uh, digital twins are virtually digital representations of any real world entity. Now, those entities can be of different scale. They could be instruments within a lab. Uh, They could be uh, assets that are out there in the real world, like wind farms, wind turbines, or they could be natural systems like our environment, the whole earth. So there is a drive that is there to pursue building a digital twin of the entire Earth's systems. But the purpose of any digital twin, irrespective of the scale or what it models, is to build this digital representation of the functioning of that system. Why the digital twin is eventually increasingly being relevant is so that the stakeholders or the people that are interested in these real-world systems want to ask the digital twin questions, questions as to what happens if the if uh, a a scenario X occurs. So in the context of uh, a wind farm, so to say, what if the climate changes over the next five years in this way, and what impact would that have on the functioning of the wind farm, its energy production, the load on the wind turbine, and the economy as a whole? So these kind of what-if scenario questions are what stakeholders typically want to ask these digital twins. And why? Because before the real scenario changes happen, the stakeholders want to understand how to put in place measures or policies or rules or strategies uh, so that they can account for any future changes. So digital twins are, so to say, a tool uh, eventually that allow us to predict uh, different conditions and scenarios based on the functioning of a certain system. Yeah, I think climate modeling is a particularly interesting example, seeing as we do have so many um, fluid variables working at the moment. I know there's one project going on there uh, right now looking at air pollution, but in the context of you know, a year where people just haven't been driving anywhere as much. So it's it's sort of an outlier. And then looking at, you know, what can we actually predict, sort of assuming there are no further, you know, pandemics or, or global events that would really change our behavior. So uh, is this sort of the another example of the kind of very sensitive questions that you're looking at? 
Uh, yes, from a classical computing point of view, yes. Uh, we work with a number of uh, national stakeholders uh, uh, in, in understanding uh, hydrological systems, uh, the, the health of the coast, and uh, the climate of Ireland as a whole to understand what would the future climate change over the next five, 10 years have an impact upon the coastal flooding and uh, uh, and the air quality and uh, the quality of groundwater that's available. So those are the kind of modeling work of uh, the earth systems that ICHIC does in, a, in partnership typically with a number of state agencies and organizations. Some of your own work has been on natural language processing, which I think is an absolutely fascinating area because it, it has so much knock-on effects in, in you know, how we uh, engage with computers every day now, the, especially the way that we're getting used to digital personal assistance. So if you can take me through your own work there and how you're striving to make these things more accurate. Uh, sure. So natural language processing typically is becoming of interest uh, uh, to many domains which we might not have thought about. So we, the most often that we might come across is uh, Siri or Alexa or other such smart assist tools. But natural language processing is increasingly relevant in the health domain uh, and in the legal domain. Uh, in health, uh, transcription of uh, medical data uh, uh, from, from reports that are written by doctors and clinicians into digital formats in, in, in legal domain because uh, translating between languages uh, across Europe, for example, is typically going to be really valuable because many member states often resort to their own national languages, so to say. But then in in, in classical computing, the, the quality of natural language processing has been remarkably increasing. From an iCheck point of view, uh, alongside the classical one, we have been looking at uh, using uh, the mathematical principles of natural language processing uh, called uh, uh, category theory, right? So uh, uh, the category theory on which natural language processing is based maps very well onto the quantum computing paradigm at a mathematical level. So similar to what I said about chemistry molecules being able to map one-to-one -one on the classical, uh, on the quantum computing system, the mathematics of natural language processing maps really well almost to uh, a quantum computing paradigm. So we are looking at how uh, quantum computing can enable natural language processing to bring that increased level of accuracy. Because again, in classical domain, we approximate or, or uh, have a, a, a toned down version of natural language processing. In quantum computing, we can explore more accurate interpretations of the semantics of the sentences or paragraphs and maybe compare meanings of two different corpuses, so to say, uh, and, and be able to translate uh, between corpuses more accurately. Now, what it's, it's, it's very early stages. So unlike uh, optimization problems or chemistry problems for quantum computing, natural language, which is enabled by quantum computing, is a, is, is a lot more difficult because quantum computing, you can assume, is a very powerful instrument, but then it's it's input and output pipes uh, that are very narrow. So the amount of data that you can pump into a quantum computing system and read out of a quantum computing system is very limited. So uh, with, with natural language processing, that is one of the first bottlenecks we are looking at. We are not able to push huge corpuses or huge uh, language text into the quantum computer. But once we have the data in the quantum computing domain, we are able to uh, more accurately or more expressively explore the meaning space uh, there. Thank mm -hmm. you.
That's fascinating development. But one always wonders when it comes to dealing with so many vast amounts of data, uh, how one sifts through sort of the, the quality um, versus the quantity of data. Um, does quantum computing have any particular uh, abilities or you know capabilities in managing to sift through the information you're taking in and be able to identify the most relevant parts of the data set to work with? Uh, that's one of the most inherent uh, strengths of quantum computing. So like you mentioned, pattern identification or classification or search is the strength of uh, the, the underlying principles of quantum computing. So any problem where you want to look at a very large data space and search through it in parallel more efficiently or identify more intricate patterns, quantum computing is, is well positioned to, to, to kind of bring more impact and benefit there. Now, in terms of data itself, once you have the large data space within a quantum computing system, you can work through it a lot more efficiently. The challenge that remains for, for a long time is being able to get a large volume of data because currently speaking, we are not able to encode, so to say, that's the technical terminology, encode a large volume of classical data into quantum states or quantum data. So the, as I said, Pushing data into a quantum computer is really difficult. But then once you explode the data uh, into in, in a quantum computer, you can really look at pattern matching, uh, optimization, and search uh, problems more efficiently. Finally, what kind of projects going on in quantum are of particular interest to you at the moment? What are you, what are you seeing and thinking, that's really interesting, that's really going to push the envelope for us? Uh, if you don't mind me uh, pulling back a little bit of history, the reason why ICHEC as a national center for high-performance computing is look at quantum computing is particularly because our mandate from the state is to provide capabilities in compute and data infrastructure to the nation as a whole. So that means not just providing access to our supercomputer or the technologies or the experts there, but also to have a road watch, so to say, uh, watch the future of emerging technologies. Five, seven years before, that's when graphical processing units, GPUs, uh, became a lot more powerful that enabled AI. So looking at the future, quantum computing is one of the technologies that is emerging as an alternate uh, technology that brings a lot more computing power. That's the reason why iTech is looking at first building in-house expertise in understanding the technology better. And then we have been also working on developing the co-developing the technology with our partners so that we can bring the expertise and access to platforms to the national users and academic industry public sector. So as a whole, we did start our journey in 2018 as a center, looking at the algorithms that are more suited for quantum computers. But since a couple of years ago, we have branched off to a large to, to a lot more so that we are now we are looking at co-developing quantum computing systems and combining them as hybrid systems that are strongly coupled with classical computing systems. So we have a national supercomputer. Each member state almost has a national supercomputer across Europe. There are HPC systems in the cloud as well. What needs to happen going in the future is a strong integration or a tight integration of quantum computing systems with classical HPC systems. And that has to happen. It's just not about wiring those two systems together, but actually looking at the entire stack of infrastructure, software, applications, and skills so that we can program these kind of systems, these hybrid systems, like they never changed over the last 10 years. So building that tool chain capability and skills capability is what iTech works on with a number of partners. 
And that was Dr. Vankatesh Kanan from the Irish Centre for High-End Computing. That's it for our Tech Radio Show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website at techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.